Welcome into another episode of the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and I'm joined today by Nate Hayes, USA correspondent for Emerging Cricket. Welcome, Nate. Hey, Nick. Always great to talk to you. Excited about this topic. Yes, today we are discussing in a bit more detail the ICC Women's Americas Qualifier for the T20 World Cup, which is feeding into the global qualifier happening next year. So, as you have probably heard by now, the USA uh, cruised through unbeaten with six wins from six matches to the global qualifier. They were up against Canada, Brazil and Argentina. Canada, they beat twice and then Canada beat the other two teams twice. Uh, Brazil lost both games against Canada and the US and beat Argentina twice. And uh, yeah, Argentina were really struggling. They were winless and uh, had a pretty terrible net run rate. So we'll start with the US, who were the justifiable winners in, uh, well, in, in both of our opinions. They had a very strong tournament. They were never really troubled. There weren't any games that were particularly close. And uh, they were just basically very convincing in both disciplines, batting and bowling. The bowling has been good for a while, but the batting has been a marked improvement over previous tournaments, even you know a year or two ago from what we've seen from this group of players. So I think that's an encouraging sign, especially at you know associate women's level. Yeah, and when you have a group of young players like USA does, one of the fun things is to watch them develop as cricketers. You you know it's 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 we talk about cricket in general. We talk about men's cricket, and when you're talking about a men's team and you say, okay, this team needs to do better at this or that, you don't often see the solution happening within the same group of people like within a year, you know, like you do with the women's cricket when they're all, when they're 16, 17 years old, when they start on the team, but we're seeing players, you know, who before it's like, Oh, well, we need somebody to score more boundaries. Well, now we're getting the same girls. It's not like they got new people in the team or new people, you know, on, on the scene altogether. Uh, but we're seeing some of these players find the solutions within themselves instead of having to reach out and bring, you know, just bring whole new team members in all the time. But we're seeing some of the same players just develop and, and learn the skills that they need. And that's that's really a lot of fun. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, six hitting ability. That was uh, Ritu Singh who hit four sixes in the tournament, including uh, a 37 off 16 against Canada uh, to really sort of put the game out of reach for the Canadians, which included three sixes, uh, and then she hit one more elsewhere. Just for comparison, the only other player to hit a six uh, in the whole tournament was uh, Danielle McGahey for Canada. So, yeah, that capacity for power hitting is something that makes a huge difference in these kinds of uh, pathway tournaments, and you know that's what you need to be developing going into a global tournament like the qualifier. Yeah, especially, you know, coming into this tournament, this was one of the things that I wanted to see USA improve on was, you know, scoring late in the innings, scoring sixes when, when you need to. And that's something that, you know, like we, obviously Ritu Singh was the only one to score, but we do have somebody scoring sixes now, which is nice. But uh, not just that, but we've got an increase uh, in, in four boundaries. And it's just it was something that I wasn't sure that we would be even have the opportunity to see USA do, because, considering – you need to have some good games. You need to have some close games. We can't have, you know, 42 runs winning a game. You know, um, you don't get that question even asked, let alone answered. So these USA uh, versus Canada games were, were the USA's real opportunities to to show that they've improved in that area. And unfortunately, obviously, uh, you know, they won by so much in the other the other games that you really didn't get a chance to see whether or not they can they can score in those you know pile on the runs at the end. We might talk about the other teams uh, in 
uh, a little while, but still on the US, you know, you talk, you talk about boundary hitting as well. Uh, so Divya Saxena for Canada, uh, topped the run tally, but second was, uh, was Disha Dingra for, from the US, who I think still only 17 or so. Um, so as you say, the, the young kids coming through and, and starting to develop, she hit 13 boundaries. Yeah, Colin with eight. Uh, Shahasa with nine. So you know, you know there were there were other players chipping in with boundaries, um, although strike rates I guess still a concern. You know, Shundu Shahasa and uh, yeah the aforementioned Ritu Singh, the only two frontline batters uh, with a strike rate over 100, and uh, Gita Kadali I guess if you're sort of counting her as an all rounder uh, at 117. But yeah, Ritu Singh 176 overall strike rate for the tournament, uh, not too bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's definitely still a, a weak point. And, and I think going into that qualifier, the US, you know, I, I think they're still one of the less fancied teams, if we're being honest. Um, but, yeah, it, they, their batting was a point of difference, certainly, uh, certainly at regional level. And, of course, the bowling has also been good. Uh, Isani Vagela, uh, who's the sister of Vatsal, who's, who's doing quite well on the men's side as well, grabbed 15 wickets to top the, the wicket tally, and uh, she had an economy rate under three. So, yeah, the, the bowling was still good for the U.S., yeah, and an interesting thing uh, about Vigela is is that just like her brother, she she kind of hit the scene as a batter first um, initially. I remember in the Nationals uh, a couple years back, she impressed a lot of people with her with her batting, with her timing, and um, now she's evolved to a a all rounder who's performing more with the ball, which is kind of what what happened with Vatsal too. So. Uh, a, Asani has fantastic ability with the bat. She just hasn't clicked lately, and they haven't exactly needed her with the bat this tournament, at least. But yeah, she's been tremendous with the ball, uh, just like her her brother. You know, world beaters really, really good with the ball. But the, we got Disha Dingra, who, um, as you were talking about the strike rate, yes, her strike rate was ninety eight, and she's an opener for this team. Uh, and she scored fifty eight off of fifty in that last game against Canada, which that was a really big innings, I thought. So, you know, I'll take that 98 strike rate from an opener right now. Um, she's averaging 39 and a half, uh, 158 total runs, and twice was not out. Um, but, yes, uh, the big th- emphasis that the women had going into the tournament, uh, Charlotte Dickinson, the head coach of the women's team, told uh, Peter Della Pena in his interview with her following the, the final game that one of the big plans that they had going in was to kind of like uh they wanted to improve their batting a lot um and they they wanted to change strike when those first six overs of an innings they wanted to 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 just you know keep the keep the scoreboard ticking in the first six overs just uh you know and they'd managed to do a good job doing that ease into the game that that gives their their openers a chance to to kind of go big uh later on as 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 they as they ease in but yeah they wanted to rotate strike a lot I think they did a pretty good job of that. But yeah, their bowling's always been a strength. Their batting took big, big strides this time around. And uh, I'm I'm excited to see how they go from here. But but like as you mentioned uh, uh, just briefly, Gitika Kodali, um, I'd like to see a little more from her with the bat. Uh, if they're going to compete on the world stage with with uh, some of these you know very very good teams, they're going to need some batting from from her. They're going to need uh, some some scoring from her. Uh, in her position, we saw obviously Sindhu was fantastic with the bat as she as she tends to be um, very good leadership from her. And and honestly, you know, she was put in a position this tournament where she had to her, you know, her leadership skills were were 
were tested and and considering the fact that they brought the coach in that Charlie Dickinson didn't become the coach until nine days prior to the tournament that means you're going to lean heavily on your captain so I think this was a really great tournament to showcase her abilities um, as a captain for for Team USA and you know her potential future as, as you know as potentially a coach. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I guess, I mean, it makes sense. She's been around the scene for a long time and, and she knows it inside out. And I mean, this is something that, uh, in my opinion, the US has struggled with. I mean, I, um, I know uh, Shrivenar and Chandapal achieved good results. And, and you know, it's always <laughs> it's always nice to have a, you know, a star coach in that kind of role. But it was always going to be a stepping stone to, to, you know, bigger and better jobs. So... You know, having someone like a like a uh, like a Shahasa who is a part of the U.S. cricket scene and and who is going to stick around for a longer time, I, I think that could be good for the women's team, which is a you know a work in progress. Obviously, we're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves in terms of uh, <laughs> you know I, I think she probably still has a few more years of playing left in her, but um, you know thinking ahead, someone someone in that mold I think is a good fit for this team because it's a long-term project to develop the team and you know i mean if if julia price had been able to stick around for sort of uh you know eight ten years i think that would have been amazing but you know if if you can just get someone who knows the scene really well and and has good relationships with both the team and and sort of more broadly in, in u.s cricket yeah you could do a lot worse than than sindhu shrahasa yeah i think i think when you look back at it now, it's interesting to look at it now, and it kind of hits you. It's like, oh wow, she's been the thing that's bridged, that's bridged all this, all these last four or five years. Where, where you know, the last three years we've really had the most progress in the women's game, starting with those nationals that they that they established in 2021 uh, with uh, Julia Price. And um, yeah, it just makes sense to me that you know she's 35 years old now. She's still, as long as she's performing on this team, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna pull her out of the team, but uh, you know she's she is the common denominator uh, across all of this and and I'd like to see her stick around even after she's done playing I think she would be the obvious obvious choice yeah and especially having a batting coach I think that's kind of an interesting point as well because batting is has been the weaker side for so long you know having someone who for so long has been a key part of the batting to bring that experience through to the uh, the coaching side of things I think yeah also also would be very helpful um, and I guess just uh, going back to your your point about uh, Gatika Kadali, uh, it was she actually had a pretty disappointing tournament, and that's you know not necessarily to criticise her, just to point out that the fact that you can have a player who has been so important like Kadali, and she you know she only bowled twelve overs, only took a couple of wickets, didn't really score many runs, so she was pretty anonymous at this tournament, and you know they still were very convincing even without someone li- like her, or for example you know. Gargi Bogle, who's who's been sort of a, a big prospect for for a year or two now, uh, she also I think she had one good innings, but you know, didn't do a whole lot. So th- the fact that their star players are underperforming and they're still finding ways to win very convincingly, I think that's one of the more encouraging aspects of this performance from the US. Yeah, and and you know I, I I'm not exactly sure how much of Gatika's limited opportunities has to do with her being kind of a known commodity with the team. Uh, she did bowl in that last. Last uh, game against Canada, she bowled uh, three overs in that game, and she bowled well. She took a wicket, 
uh, surrendered 17 runs. And the, I think a lot of it was also they went very spin heavy for the most part. And why not? Uh, it was working. But um, Suhani Tadani is another. Uh, she's a medium pace bowler. Her brother also plays in minor league cricket and has been one of the uh, you know top performers in his age for the past three seasons. But yeah, but I think, you know, Sohani bowled well as well. I think it just seemed to work out this time that, that, that spin, you know, they went with an awful lot of spin and they tend to do that. This conditions tend to favor that with them. I, I really want to see a situation where USA have to have to bowl 12 of their 20 overs with using fast bowlers of some sort. I'd love to see how they, how they deal with that. And you get the full quota from Kitika and uh, Suhani and, you know, have to uh, maybe bring in Eris too. So it, I think that would be good for them in the future um, to be in situations um, where where they need to rely on their fast bowlers. I think that they they would they would benefit as a team. It would round the team out a lot better because you're you know you get to the globals and you're not going to just be able to bowl you know uh, every single game. You're not going to be able to bowl you know sixteen, fifteen, sixteen overs of spin. Well, I think yeah, conditions were certainly conducive to it here, but. Um... Uh, even on sluggish pitches, having a, a bowler who can bowl sort of cutters and that sort of thing can be very effective as well. Definitely. Um, but yeah, as you say, uh, spin-heavy results for the US. Um, Adi Chudasama, another one, uh, off-break bowler who, who picked up a bunch of wickets and was very effective uh, with an economy rate of 3.2. So yeah, just goes to show spin is certainly the strength for the US. Um, although it's, it, it is interesting you, you talk about you're wanting to see more from their seam bowlers. Brazil's strength was their seam bowlers. Um, the bowling unit as a whole, uh, especially, was still very good. But you know, compared to in Mexico a couple of years ago, where they beat Canada and the US, that they didn't go through only due to run rate uh, being the, being equal on points with the US. The bowling though was carrying them to that performance in Mexico, and the bowling again was good. But they just yeah, the the batting was if anything worse than last time they they turned out, which is yeah very disappointing because. Uh, it, it meant that the bowlers couldn't, as much as they tried, they couldn't defend the the really low totals that were being put up. So that uh, seam bowling trio of uh, Laura Cardoso, Renata D'Souza, and and Caroline Nascimento, it's a really good core for a bowling unit. Um, especially you know someone like D'Souza who comes into the power play going at an economy rate of 2.8. You know she was basically impossible to get away. Just just um, really disciplined lines, which is again something that. Uh, you, you don't see so much at this level. Uh, there are a lot of extras a lot of the time and, um, you know, kind of wayward bowling. Uh, whereas the that that trio especially, uh, Cardoso did go for runs a little bit, but she was uh, effective at, at taking wickets. So she's kind of your, your out-and-out strike bowler. But, you know, the support for that trio was a bit lacking and, you know, kind of the next level down in terms of bowling wasn't really there. So yeah, Brazil were, I was hoping for more from them, if we're being honest. And, you know, looking to the batting side, Roberta Moreta Avery, the the captain who's who's been with them for a long time, she was the only batter with any scores of note. And of course, she retired at the end of the tournament, um, who, you know, maybe mirroring the, the Sindhu Shrihasa uh, discussion, you know, she, she's a little bit older compared to a very young team in terms of the rest of the players. And she's going to continue and stick around in Brazilian cricket and, and pass on that experience. So, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Shrihasa can, can do something similar, but yeah, I, I was disappointed in Brazil. I, I don't know if you were expecting more or less or the same or. Well, I think with Brazil, it was kind of one of those things where if they, if they bowled first, you got to really see what their strength was. 
And if they batted first, at least against USA and Canada, you didn't really get the chance to see that. What you talked about, uh, Laura Car- uh, Cardosa. She, first of all, one of the things they got going for them is they're they're young, like you said. They, she's only 18 years old, but she took three wickets against Canada, and she took zero against USA, and that was partly because one of the games against USA, she got one over in before USA chased down a 40-run tw- a target. And, and so if you're Brazil, a- as you said, you want to bat and put up enough of a total that you let your best players have a chance to keep you in the game. And they got to find some ability to tough it out and score and score more runs. And that's just going to come from from playing more, you know, obviously. But, you know, USA, it's tough to be too critical with them. We're looking at a team that's, you know, still relatively new, a, a nation that's just not too long ago invested in this in this women's team and they've got to do things the the slow and steady way uh usa has a, a tremendous advantage in, in that regard in in that we have a large population of people here who are expats from cricket playing nations whose children who they want to get their kids into playing cricket and so we kind of can take a shortcut we're not introducing cricket so much to the to the general public and then hoping people want to play it like is happening in brazil so you know they've got a harder road that's for sure but yeah it's just gonna i think just getting some more experience obviously that's going to help them a ton but that said cardosa you know players like her they're just very talented i mean she's already playing in the in the fair break and things like that so the fair break is an excellent is an excellent thing especially for uh some a place like brazil who they need to get their players out there they need they need to show girls in the in the nation that hey look we have players that are actually doing something with this sport so yeah that's the challenge that they face it's kind of the opposite of ours they've got they've got a board and they got the access to you know some public funds and things like that they got a board that they can back the women's team and has put has put their effort into the women's team and they just have to now find a way to culturally make some kind of Im- impact and bring more people in but that's a slow and long way to do it and we have the advantage of having a shortcut and unfortunately not having the greatest backing yeah that's a an interesting point about the kind of reversed issues for the for the two nations but yeah just to uh, i guess linger on that um as as we've often discussed it seems like it's easier for a team to get pretty good at bowling without as much match practice but batting you basically just have to go out and play a whole bunch of games and brazil does turn up to these uh regional events you know the south american championships and and whatnot um but the schedule is a little bit bare for south american associates which is which is a shame yeah but also peter delapena makes the point about the brazilian team that basically they're all athletes at least which is something that is a big help uh, and you know they might not have necessarily the skills in terms of batting but you know you look at the way they field they are athletic they're fit um, that makes a big difference at women's associate level just something as basic as that having that kind of athleticism is something that a lot of teams do kind of struggle with and even if their skills might be a bit better finding athletes you know that's something uh you know crossover athletes it's not, i mean the u.s had some success with uh erica rendler yeah yeah not too long ago so i'm not sure why that idea wasn't persisted with because you know she was a i think she was a hockey player right yeah uh, originally and and then she swapped over to cricket and was was uh one of their better players so you know i, I think that's still a productive area that the u.s could explore and certainly the same for canada which you know the, the fact that brazil does have athletes you know if canada did the same and, and just found <laughs> you know a bunch of uh, athletic women from other sports i think if we're being honest they'd probably do better than you know several of the players 
who were here. You know, there were some bright spots. Uh, 16-year-old leg spinner Manat Hundel taking a hat-trick against Brazil was one. She, she bowled very well uh, throughout the tournament. Um, Amapal Kaur, off-spinner, also very successful, 15 wickets uh, in the tournament. So, yeah, again, spin-heavy. Uh, Divya Saxena, as we talked about, topped the run charts. Maybe the strike rate just on 100, a little bit underwhelming. Daniel McGahey after... <laughs> All the online discussion, a little bit of a flop, really. Uh, yeah, I think everybody just took it for granted that she would come in and just blast them to victory. But, you know, it's... Yeah, there's, there's more to it. There's a lot more to it than that. It goes to show that there are some good bowlers in this. In this, uh, There was some good bowling in this tournament. And just like anybody else that we've seen come into associate cricket in general, there's a learning curve. Yeah, I mean, she was the second top run scorer for Canada with 118 behind Divya Saxon as 174. So, you know, there's that. But... <laughs> Yeah, Bertus de Jong made this point before the tournament that you're looking at uh, McGahey's sort of highlights videos and stuff that she would struggle against straight bowling and that's basically what happened. Uh, I think she was LBW or bowled quite a few times throughout that tournament just, you know, playing across the line to straight ones. Um, so, yeah, after after all the hype and discussion sort of was, was a bit of a fizzer. But um, uh, to, to round out that point about crossover athletes, you know, if you find, let's say, five high-quality, you know, ice hockey players, for example, drop them into this Canadian team with a bit of training, I think they'd probably do better than, you know, I don't, I don't want to name names, <laughs> but yes, several several of the players, let's just say. Um, right. So I, I, think, I think it's something that we, we probably should explore. Yeah, I think so too. And interestingly, you know, you mentioned Erica, you know, she transitioned to the sport and and, and became a, a pretty good batter for USA. And that's not easy. You talked we talked about the transition that, that uh Brazil's having a hard time. Well, yeah, exactly. That's talk about having a shortcut. That's that's something that you would probably look for. Right. And I don't want to take it for granted that every good athlete's going to be as good as, as Erica Rendler because I don't think they, that will happen. I think you need to have a lot of passion for it. She worked hard. Obviously, you're going to need that. But also, batting is just naturally a harder thing, I think, to get elite at. And that's because, you know, you go, you bowl and you make a mistake, you give up a six, right? And hopefully your captain brings you back in the next over. And that's probably going to happen. If they've tagged you as a bowler for the game, you're probably going to get a couple of overs at least. In batting, you go out and get out first ball. I hope hopefully you're good at learning a lesson really fast and not getting too down on yourself before you play the next game in four weeks or what, however long it takes. You know, <laughs> so, so it's it's just slow. It, the lessons come slower because you know just the nature of the game. You don't get a chance to correct that mistake. And you, yeah, you can do it in the nets, but really, it's emotionally difficult uh, about getting over, getting out early in cricket. It's very emotional thing to get. I mean, as someone who didn't play, start playing cricket until my thirties, that was something I had to like really struggle with because you get out doing something dumb you, you you go to the nets and you try to learn how to not do that dumb thing again and then you do a whole brand new dumb thing <laughs> and it's in the meantime in between every game you're thinking about it and so it's it's it is a really tricky thing it, it takes just so long to get good at batting in a game in cricket yeah i mean that's that's why i always liked being a wicket keeper is because every ball you've you've got something to do and and you're not sitting out in the outfield mulling over all your failures and <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know just getting down on yourself you have to concentrate just to you know clear your mind every ball it's almost like you're batting really right. which is you know i mean as a bit of a deviation but that's you know why a lot of the time wicket keepers are kind of expected to to bat because it's pretty much the same skill you know you're watching the bowler 
deliver the ball and and pretty much predicting what's going to happen and getting yourself in position for it. So you know you're basically you're batting the whole bowling innings and then you go out and bat again. So um, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess my recommendation would be to just make everyone play wicketkeeper for a while and uh, I think that might actually help some of their skills at, at this lower level in terms of you know watching the ball and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, that's totally- well, no, I think it's a, it's it's an interesting point and like uh, even Barry Bonds, the one of the probably the best hitter hitter in my lifetime in baseball he used to say people would ask him how do you hit the ball so well he's like well how do you catch the ball he's like it's just catching the ball but you're doing it with your bat Mm. and so interesting yeah i see i can see like the wicked and another advantage you have when you're keeping is if mark watt if you're batting if if you know you're used to you're used to keeping and you're batting and mark watt gives you the 26 yard ball that he bowls from behind the umpire you're used to catching that so so it won't fool you yeah i i'd be interested to see mark watt's results against cross the wicketkeeper in club cricket in scotland actually that's that's a that's an interesting point he, he probably gets killed by wicket keepers everyone else he gets, him, he gets him <laughs> yeah interesting point but uh yeah just bringing it back to canada as as i said hundal the young leg spinner most expensive but also uh, took a bunch of wickets so i i'm pretty interested to see how she develops i think she's still only 17 or 16 as well so another one for the future and yeah core uh, very tidy uh, very effective so yeah a couple of couple of good spin options you know a couple of bright spots there for canada in, in the bowling department and Divya Saxena uh, effective with the bat as usual but yeah overall pretty disappointing stuff I mean I, I don't really expect much from the Canadian women's team at this point they're basically an afterthought in terms of the administration back home they've had good players you know retire slash uh, give up in frustration slash uh, you know whatever you want to call it um, yeah, so until the game takes women's cricket seriously in Canada, I, I don't see any results improving, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like, you know, for here in the USA, that's a, you know, it's a shame. You know, we want to see USA and Canada have, a, we, this is a shame in every, every men's, women's, U19. We want to see some kind of partnership between these two, these two nations. Yeah, definitely. And, 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 you know, they could help each other out a lot here by, there were neighbors. We should be playing each other a lot. We should be playing more cricket, especially the women's cricket. It's, you know, but this is USA has lost some players too. In fact, you know, they recently promoted their uh, futures program. They have an intern futures program, and in the photograph that they used to promote it, you know, I can you can count several players who just who, still teenagers who just completely quit playing. <laughs> so, well, even high-profile players like Lisa Ramjet, who I think she's joined the air force or something yeah and she was on the front of that uh, photograph yeah so so yeah it's it, unless the future is like they send you an application for the for the army you know and that if that's their futures program but you know it's something that i'm also worried about for here in the usa if we don't keep things going and and you know if you look at the problems that usa's had over the last couple of years we're not doing too bad considering the problems that, we, that we've had uh, you know it's it's in this a lot of this i think falls on the shoulders of uh, the the local coaches here who are apparently doing a really good job well and it is a similar issue to canada in the sense that you know the women's program is the side that really needs a lot of focus from the governing body because i mean especially in the u.s but even in canada you know toronto club cricket is very good still um so there's there's always going to be a good amount of talent coming in that you can sort of pick from whereas uh yeah the, the women's game is the area that needs a lot more focus and in the US where there's you know minor league and major league the, the men's game takes care of itself really in, in terms of talent yeah uh the, the USAC pretty much doesn't need to do anything and they've got 
a good team just sitting there in the US ready to go uh, on the men's side. Thankfully. Whereas they need to, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, because they certainly, you could argue that they're not doing anything and they are just sitting back and yeah, but that, that's another issue. But on the women's side, because they don't have that strong pipeline of talent coming through on the franchise you know, private industry side of things. Right. They need to put in the effort, the development programs to, to generate the talent and to, to find players to pick. And it's just not happening as effectively as it should be. Yeah, it's it's a trick. And as you mentioned with the men's situation, uh, Major League Cricket, uh, well, actually Minor League Cricket and Canada have a, have a partnership where Canadian players can play here as domestics in Minor League Cricket, which is very helpful to the product overall because we know there are a lot of great quality men's players in cricket but this keeps the men's players in Canada playing against good good talent too and um so so now you have the Canadian team Canadian men's team preparing in Texas right now playing against minor league cricket teams mm. and the, those minor league cricket teams are giving them a real run for their money i mean they're they're very very good teams and this is just a natural way that these that these players they're already here cuz they're playing in minor league so why not get the Canadian team together in Texas to 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 play some games and that's what they're doing of course USA I'd love to see them take advantage of this as well a little more often but there's nothing like that for the women and and so when you're building a women's program with a lot of young players you also have to plan around things like their schools things like their college or their high school and and so there's a yeah, lot there's a lot of challenges so even if you do invest the time and the money and, and you do have a good plan you have to work that plan around so many things that that you know our men's national team doesn't have those problems uh, and therefore, we don't have those excuses. So uh, they should be doing better. But but yeah, the women's team takes, as you mentioned, these are just some of the more challenges that the women's cricket has to face that the men's team doesn't. And that therefore, it's a justification for the governing body to invest even more in the women's game than the men's. It's just a necessary thing. If you want that team to be successful, you have to put in a little bit more effort. Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess one team that needs more effort well, both on the men's and women's side, uh, is Argentina, who, uh, yeah, very disappointing, lost every match comprehensively. Uh, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to say. Not a single one of their batters averaged even nine. Alison Stocks, bowled okay, eight wickets, uh, you know, but that was pretty much it. Yeah, I, I, I just, every time we see Argentina play, they just, they always seem to be struggling and it is a real shame for a team that, you know, decade and a half ago, they were still up at the higher levels of the World Cricket League, and they've just been in freefall for, yeah, for a long time. And I, I don't know how they arrest that slide. It just seems like cricket is, it's played by a very small number of people in Argentina, and despite the fact they have some very good facilities and, and a decent amount of uh, enthusiasm from you know, from from the cricket scene there, they they just don't have the talent pool to to select enough players to to challenge teams in the region, which is which is a real shame for a team that has such a long and, and proud history. It, it's kind of weird because if you look at these four teams in this in this uh, regional uh, qualifier here, 
uh, you can take good things up from every one of them that, that are necessary to build a good program. And if you put all of the, each, each one of them has a, has a strength that one of them lacks, hmm. uh, except for, except for Canada, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but no, like Canada does have some, some good, some very good players. But if you took this thing, the strengths of each of them and put them all together, you'd have exactly what you want to see from a, uh, associate nation that want, that has ambitions to climb, to climb the ladder. You know, you take the facilities in Argentina and you take you know the the um, investment from Brazil and you take the talent from Canada and the USA and obviously the the, the resources of the of the players in the USA because you know not many people play cricket in the USA who don't come from a uh, family that can afford to do this <laughs> well that's another problem really it's another it's another problem yeah so you put all those things together and you're going to have a pretty phenomenal uh, associate nation yeah unfortunately uh <laughs> they are all uh, going their separate ways um i guess just a quick point uh on the facilities i'd argue that the facilities in buenos Aires are better than well certainly most in the americas at associate level better than woodley park uh, which was the host venue here in la um, LA is supposed to be hosting cricket in 2028. We keep seeing stories about it every now and then. I mean, Woodley Park, I guess the obvious venue that for there, or unless they do a pop-up, I don't know. The outfield was very lush. Uh, they had some, they had really big boundaries as well, which was interesting. And yeah, the decks were a bit sluggish. I don't know how slow or if, you know, the standard of play was kind of making it look a bit slower than it actually was. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was okay, but it, pretty underwhelming facility, if, if I'm being honest. By 2028, you have to hope that California has two major league venues, which is the plan. And if they do, that's where they'll play them. And, you know, obviously, I don't want to poo-poo that too much because we have seen them come up with a venue in Dallas that's that's actually very, very good. And... Uh, we just saw Major League Cricket play there. We know that that Dallas venue is going to be expanded with temporary stands for the uh, for the 2024 World Cup. So the fact that that Major League pulled that off there in Dallas, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to pull something off in California between now and 2028. But you're going to need more than one venue. They're not going to be able to do the whole thing in in California anyways, which is not unusual for an Olympics. Uh, I remember in the the going to the Olympics um, that was supposed to be in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta in the USA in the '90s, and I remember going to a soccer game in Washington D.C. that was part of that Olympics. So it's not unusual to play in other cities. You know, we'll probably get to utilize just about every good venue in the USA if we do have the uh, Olympics here. I would imagine, or at least at least three or four of them. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think Hong Kong hosted some of the horse stuff in the Beijing Olympics. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it happens. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's sort of five years in the future. And I mean, you would hope that all of these teams have been able to raise their standard in that time. I think we've, we've sort of touched on what needs to happen. But I guess, do you have any uh, prescriptions for the US in terms of what they need to do? Well, we can look forward to the global qualifier here to kind of get a gauge on that. And uh, Peter De La Pena talked to Sindhu Sriharsha and Charlotte Dickinson after the uh, after the the Americas qualifier, and you know Sindhu was talking about the need to improve the batting, but you know felt like a few players stood up and put their hand up and made big strides, which clearly they did as we discussed. But uh, Charlotte Dickinson made some great points about how you know over the next few months the team just needs to get together more and prepare more and continue to work hard and. She she kind of made some of the points that Jimmy Pamet made back in it was 2019 and she didn't really go full Jimmy Pamet 
on, on this, but she she <laughs> she she did say she should have. <laughs> yeah, she had every right. But you know, she you know she was brought in nine days before the before the tournament. She's no stranger to cricket in the USA. She's been involved in the setup, you know, since at least uh, the inception of the women's nationals, as she had coached some some of the zonal teams in the past. But um, you know, she identified training as as a, as a very important uh, aspect of how they're going to have to improve. And she said, quote unquote, we've got to back them as a group and keep working hard in order for them to have every success emphasizing that the usa cricket board needs to back the girls more and give them more support which is a lot of what um Pamit said this is a theme that se- seems to be always the issue and it, and it is a big challenge with a country as large as the usa a lot of these the people that listen to this don't really realize how big the usa is it's enormous it's roughly the size of australia and canada right yeah it's 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 massive but canada's got you know some 95 percent of all the canadians live you know within 100 miles or so of the u.s border something like that but um you know america's very well spread out our hubs are spread out for for cricket and and that's a challenge so yeah that's the trick is getting the girls together more can the u.s board they 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 seem to have all these so many priorities that are competing you know, all these national championships, different age groups right now. And I really wish they would just do things simpler and do things more quality with the simple things that they do. You know, we don't need to have a U13 men's national championship when a fifth of those players are also playing in the U15 men's national championship, which we also don't need to have. And so, you know, things like this just kind of, to me, I don't know how uh, we're going to be able to invest in the things that we need to for the women's team if we keep dividing up our attention, dividing up our resources like the U.S. board seems uh, hell-bent on doing. But I think we should focus, keep things very simple on the board, and, and therefore everyone can focus on the priorities of let's get the women's team good, and that starts with the U19 team. Let's get them together more. Let's have them play more cricket every chance we can get. And let's develop something with Canada, who are our neighbors and who are the closest thing we've got to, uh, you know, true competition, uh, aside from West Indies, who we should also join up with, you know. But, yes, that's basically the thing. If we can do that, then five years from now at the, at the Olympics, we can make a little bit of a splash. Yeah, and you mentioned the West Indies. I mean, the U.S. under-19s in a series last right. year. And, and then... At the World Cup, the West Indies lost to Rwanda, famously. So, you know, it, it, it's not that far below their standard to be playing against the US, I think. And, and uh, yeah, of course, Canada certainly should be getting involved as well. It just makes sense. And it is frustrating that <laughs> I guess every time we chat, we end up to the same conclusion, which is that uh, the US and Canada should play more. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I mean, it's true. It's true. They, they it's, It doesn't make sense that they're not. But, yeah, <laughs> Hopefully someone uh, eventually listens to this podcast and, uh, and, and, and schedules some more games. But uh, yeah, um, overall, kind of a not too surprising result with the US going through unbeaten. Uh, Canada, a little bit better than last time, but still pretty disappointing. Brazil, uh, unfortunately, couldn't repeat their good performance. And uh, yeah, Argentina still struggling. Um, moving on to another topic that we, we briefly touched on, which is... Uh, the locations for the World Cup, the T20 World Cup, which is being jointly hosted by the US. Uh, the venues announced have been the one in Grand Prairie, Texas, uh, Fort Lauderdale, done in Florida, and the uh, quote-unquote New York uh, venue being played, apparently set to be a pop-up venue in uh, Nassau County, Eisenhower Park, uh, which is on Long Island, so it actually is in New York. 
uh, as opposed to a lot of uh, sort of New York things. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm interested in what you make of it. We talked about it a little bit last week on the podcast, but to me, obviously, Grand Prairie makes sense because uh, they've just hosted the Major League, roaring success, a lot of turnout. You know, that's a big tick. Fort Lauderdale, you know, good facilities. Uh, turnout's usually terrible, but, you know, it's going to be a World Cup, so you, you would think that, you know, the locals would, would turn out for that. Um, but this pop-up venue in uh, Nassau County is the one that I'm kind of suspicious of. Just the fact they're doing a pop-up venue, um, they've got less than a year to get it ready. Uh, they're not leaving, you know, why not invest some money improving local facilities rather than just doing a sort of fly-in, fly-out tournament thing. And the fact that Morrisville isn't a venue that's going to get any World Cup games. They're, they're talking about bringing in temporary stands to Grand Prairie and you know 34,000 people in, in Nassau County. That's fine if you're hosting India-Pakistan, but for all the other games, you know, are you going to get 34,000 people in New York coming coming to see, I don't know, Afghanistan play against New Zealand or something? Maybe not. And uh, these less sort of attractive uh, games, I think... History has shown that, you know, the the Morrisville cricket community will turn out to these games. So to me, it makes sense to have Morrisville as a location and have your sort of associate v. associate or, you know, associate v. lower ranked full member matches played in Morrisville where you will still get a crowd for it rather than having a huge empty stand in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we, we, we saw, you know, in Australia's T20 World Cup, I think that's all you have to do is look at the one that we just had. Uh, less than a year ago, what like eleven months ago now, when it, when it started, and and when you look at that, you look at the fans for the big games. The fans were plentiful. They were the place was full, and the, you know you hear all these poetic things about how no one's ever seen anything like it in their life, and but but when you have the games that aren't that popular, right? When you when you when you saw the games that 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 didn't include. India or Australia or even you know some of the full member teams it, the 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 crowd was just really it was empty the, the the stands were empty and it doesn't look good to have games in an empty venue I I don't understand how anyone thinks that that's a good thing for the for for cricket you know whereas you could play some of the less popular teams the less selling teams in here in Morrisville and you'll have lines of people lined up to try to get in and we just did a major league cricket season here we just did a week here and to me that almost was should have been like a trial to see how the how the world cup could go and yeah it was really hard the broadcast team had a lot of gripes about it um and rightly so it was it's a challenge it it is a challenge but because they went to those lengths it was it was it looked fantastic on TV. It was a it was a great advertisement for the product. So, you know, get out of the the pity party for yourselves about how oh, this is a really hard thing to do and do the right thing for cricket for God's sake. That's how I feel about it. But um you know, go ahead, build up these venues enormously and then watch them be half empty. You know, unless you're going to play India. And also, what they're going to, you know, I I just hope that wherever they put the India Pakistan game or wherever India plays, you know, uh, they, they don't put the biggest game someplace on the first day. You know, get make sure that, that you've done a couple of games with, that are, that are semi-popular before you put your most popular game somewhere so that you can understand how long it's going to take fans to trickle in because 
getting to that Long Island site is not going to be as easy as people think it's going to be. And, you know, I, I don't know if you'll have people in the stands in the first innings unless they are used to and they know what to expect. So you're doing something right here that you don't have years of, you know, proven results. You don't have years of experience to lean on and say, well, we need to manage the, the traffic this way or that way. And even when you have a wealthy, competent organization, like, for example, the National Hockey League in the USA, and they do a lot of these outdoor turn uh, outdoor games now. They're very popular. When they did it here in, in Raleigh, they did it at a football stadium for the NC State football team. And they ran out of parking. People had to park two miles away and walk. And it's just like, well, that's, it's a one-of-one one event. So you're going to have all these learning. You're, you're not going to have a learning curve. You're going to have failures is what you're going to have. So I, I just hope that, and this is going to happen anywhere where you do something for the first time, not just here and not just the ICC or anything, but I just hope that when they build these pop-up venues, people show up and it looks good on TV. All those boxes are checked off. I think the Grand Prairie venue is going to be absolutely fantastic. They have plenty of space there, a lot of flat land, especially on the west side of the ground, right behind the, the bowl of seats they've built. Uh, they have a nice platform of flat ground where they could put a lot of grandstands there and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they could get that up to you know 15 16 thousand Fort Lauderdale can probably be expanded to 20 and then this New York one let's see how that goes um uh 34,000 people I'm kind of glad they abandoned that Bronx plan because it would have it would have set a precedent for public land use in the Bronx which is a very scarce thing as it is and, you know, anytime you have, you know, it's it, it just would have been a, a bad precedent, if you ask me. And the fact that the ICC, well, the fact that, well, the fact, actually, the fact that they didn't do Morrisville and they didn't go through the trouble of doing Morrisville kind of told me that they wouldn't have stuck to their promise, I don't believe, with the with the Bronx. And they had told the people there that they were going to, you know, upgrade uh, all seven of the cricket grounds that are there at that particular site. But unless they're going to put that money in escrow and put their money where their mouth is, the fact that they didn't just decide to go the extra length to, to make a good quality uh, event at Morrisville here with some of the associate teams or the lesser popular teams, I should say. Yeah, it just goes to show that I don't think they would have stuck to to the word, really. Well, and to an extent, you know, you can't really blame the ICC because they've got a, a different incentive structure. You know, they're, they're running a major international tournament. That's, sure. that's not the same thing as uh, running a development program to improve facilities in, in local park cricket. Right, and that's that's true. But the parks and recreations and the, the public land in the Bronx isn't isn't there to facilitate a private tournament that's, that's, that's you know, there that's going to make people a lot of money. So, yeah, I mean, so it can't just be all take, you know. I mean, it's, it's yeah, okay, if you want to do this, yeah, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to do it yourself. You're not going to use public money, which was the plan in the Bronx. But, you know, you have, you have people in the Bronx now who, if you want to go to the venue, you're going to have to pay X amount of money. <laughs> the tickets are not going to be cheap. It's interrupting their park for two months, probably, it, well, for several months setting it up and then several months tearing it down. You've lost a whole year of use of the park. And that's not just the cricketers. That's everybody in the city. And so I, I understand the opposition to it. Yeah, you would want somebody to say, we're going to invest in this much. If you want us to do this, yeah, we're going to invest this much into your community to do this. Or maybe let's let's give the people of the Bronx first crack at all the tickets and make them free, you know, which is what they've done in the city with other events when, they ha when they've had them. So I think, you know, that was smart to abandon that. Just maybe they were rubbing people the wrong way. They had a risk there of, of making enemies, I think, giving cricket a bad name. 
but uh, you know this let's see how this long island thing goes i i am I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how how it works out they got the parking built in so it's a good choice i think as far as that goes but uh all the just the simple ambition of of 34,000 people it's not a venue that's ever existed before it's a pop-up venue and you're going to manage the traffic for that and you're going to manage the everything for it and the idea that that's going to run smoothly to me is uh just really far-fetched yeah and uh, i guess to your point about you know, upgrading facilities or whatever. That is why, in theory, you know, you, you host these events is to you build the profile of cricket and you know, leave some kind of legacy in, in the country that's hosting. So, yeah, I, I really don't like the idea of pop-up venues for, for major tournaments because it's it's kind of working against that idea of, of having an actual legacy that improves cricket in, in the country. It seems just seems very wasteful, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's not even getting into the, you know, the, the resources and the environmental impact and you know, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the money, at least, if you're willing to spend the money for a pop-up 34,000-person stadium in New York, which presumably is not cheap, surely you can afford to improve the facilities at morrisville to the standard that you want i don't right. know it just doesn't yeah and, make and, sense to me. and morrisville's not going to give you not you're not going to be able to expand more beyond about 3500 seats there okay like we know that that's true okay but we also know from watching the 2022 world cup that there are events where 3500 people is, is ambitious to expect that many to come and that's a cricket playing nation right so we know that in morrisville you could put usa versus anybody any team just put usa there if they play a game there it'll sell out absolutely and actually pretty much put any two teams there it's going to sell out so you know it's a shame that it it would it can't be any bigger than that but you know i, I don't know it's uh it just seems like uh it would fit such a need that i think exists there's this little spot where it's like wow a 3500 uh, seat arena would look really nice for this game you know <laughs> It's like you can probably find four games in the tournament where that would that would be helpful to you, to you, you know, to have a smaller venue. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, in even in so-called major cricketing countries, I mean, I assume at the upcoming World Cup we'll see quite a few empty seats in the less high-profile matches. Probably, the Netherlands aren't going to sell out all their games, and that's in India, which is you know the most cricket-obsessed country in the world. So. Uh, yeah, th- there's definitely a, a place for smaller venues where you know where there will be a small but enthusiastic crowd following the game rather than 17 people in a huge empty stadium, which just looks depressing. And it's part of cricket's identity crisis. Cricket doesn't want to admit that it is a sport that needs to grow. It badly needs to grow. Cricket does. And they don't want to admit that. And you can hear this in every single pitch for cricket in the that you'll ever hear cricket's the second most popular sport in the world is what you always hear (laughs) you know and that's it one it's it's like it's like no it's cricket has a napoleon complex really you know and and this is part of that if you ask me you have to but but we all know you're not going to get better at something unless you admit that you're bad at it you know, you're not going to get better at, at something unless you realize what what areas you have to improve on. So to me, it's just kind of like it, this is just more of, you know, pushing out your chest and marching around and insisting that everybody recognizes that you're 10 feet tall, but you're not. That's what it looks like to me. That's a, an interesting uh, psychoanalysis of the, the sport of cricket. Um, that takes us to the end of our time together. Thanks again for joining me, Nate Hayes. Yeah, man. It's also, always great. 
Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. And uh, remember that you can, of course, keep up to date with all the latest news and events in the Emerging Cricket world by following Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platforms or logging on to emergingcricket.com. That's it for now, and we wish you all the best wherever you are around the cricketing world.